Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. When Dr. Walker assigned me the topic of marriage from our Proverbs series, I knew that verse 18 was what I needed to cover. Verse 18 is one of my wife's favorite verses, and when I read it, you'll understand why. Proverbs does not provide an exposition of marriage like Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Rather, it offers pithy statements of wisdom rooted in deep biblical theology that demonstrates God's design for marriage, his purpose, and his glorious plan for marriage in this life and the life to come. I offer to you 10 passages from Proverbs that you'll find on page 4 in your bulletin that I believe apply to marriage, and we will refer to some of them. But for our purposes this morning, I will focus on Proverbs 18, verse 22, my wife's favorite verse. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. On not an infrequent occasion, my wife will point out that the Bible does not say that she who finds a husband finds a good thing, but rather he who finds a wife finds a good thing. My various attempts to convince her that the intent of Proverbs goes in both directions have come without success. The Bible says what it says. Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father to a son, that the young man might learn what is good and to reap lasting joy and satisfaction for, for life. It's good that my wife reminds me and our sons that marriage, particularly finding a wife, is a good thing. We live in a day where a growing number of people question whether this is a good thing. A recent Pew Research Center poll found that 40% of respondents are pessimistic about the future of marriage and family in our society. In many ways, I'm surprised that marriage is still esteemed as it is in a culture that has so degraded marriage for generations. Even many couples who cohabitate still maintain the goal of marriage as the next step in their relationship, though signs, there are signs of these as declining as they have in Europe for decades. There's little doubt we live in confusing times where many people, even those who are churched, fail to preserve and embrace the biblical understanding of marriage. And so we look to God's word to restore and uphold God's idea for marriage. This morning we will consider the design of marriage, the purpose of marriage, and the glory of marriage. God's design for marriage is an exclusive covenant relationship between a man and a woman. 
until death does them part, as we often say in our wedding vows. God's design began in the Garden of Eden, where he made man, male and female, both crafted in his image. He blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Together, our first parents produced children, image bearers of God that they might fill the earth and reflect his glory back to him. They exercised mastery over the earth, taking care of the plants and the animals and the resources, serving as gardeners and ranchers and teaching future generations to do the same. Marriage is the foundation for society. And Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife, not a girlfriend, not a roommate, a wife, not wives, what is a wife? Well, after declaring all things good, the Lord noted that one thing was not good. It was not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, in our egalitarian age, the word helper may sound condescending and inferior, but that would be an incorrect interpretation. The word in Hebrew for helper, as applied to the wife, is the same word used for God many times in the Old Testament. God is our helper. He is our help and strength. The implication is that the man needs help. Amen, ladies? That's what my wife said when she first saw me. That man needs my help. <laughs> God designed the, man, the male and the female, husband and wife, to be complementary, to do together what they could not do alone. Produce children, build a family, grow each other in the likeness of God through faith and character, minister together, and to be witnesses for God's glory before a watching world. Of course, sin entered the world through the rebellion of our first parents. Curse, pain, and misery came in as a consequence of sin, making the task of the man and the woman much harder. And for this reason, and due to the wildly out-of-control desires of fallen human nature, Proverbs 5 through 7 are dedicated to clarifying and illustrating the exclusive design of marriage. Now, pastors Kiefer and Walker covered these chapters weeks ago, so I'll only briefly review them here. Chapters 5 and 6 of Proverbs offer fatherly warnings to the young man to stay clear of adultery, to be faithful to the wife, his wife of his youth, to drink water from your own cistern, comparing marital intimacy with life-giving water. Saying in in chapter 5, verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, comparing her to a loving deer, a graceful doe. Chapter 7 goes on to offer a long parable of a tragic and foolish young man who gets himself entangled with an adulterous woman, following her as an ox going to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast to an arrow 
pierces its liver. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Years ago, when I was still living under the roof of my parents, my father built a fire in the fireplace on Christmas morn, something that was not uncommon for him to do on special occasions. And though it is rare that fire is necessary in Houston, Texas on Christmas Day, a day in which I was often found wearing shorts. But nevertheless, my father laid out the wood and proceeded to douse it with what he thought was lighter fluid. I think you know where this is going. He had mistaken another fuel for lighter fluid. And when he threw in the match, rather than start a gentle flame, out came a raging fireball that not only singed his eyebrows, but set on fire Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus hanging from the mantle. <laughs> Poor Mr. and Mrs. Claus wore brooms made of straw, which doesn't mix well with fire. They sadly went out with a blaze of glory. But my father, father fast, fast as lightning, heroically grabbed these flaming Christmas ornaments and ran outside to stomp them down on the driveway. Christmas was saved from a burning inferno, but the windows had to be held open the rest of the day to get the smell out. No matter, it was a nice day anyway. Marital intimacy is like a fireplace. When the fire is kept in the fireplace, it provides light, warmth, and comfort to everyone nearby. But when that fire gets outside of the fireplace, it wreaks destruction, devastation, pain, and misery everywhere it goes. Husbands and wives, keep your fire in the fireplace. That requires you to have strong boundaries with other men and women at work, in the neighborhood, at church, on Facebook and social media. Guard your fireplace. I also exhort you to tend your fireplace. A fire will gradually diminish and go out if not properly tended. Add logs to the fireplace to tend it and to keep it from diminishing and going out into cold gray ash. Add the logs of kindness and tenderness to your fireplace. Add the logs of date night, anniversary celebrations, service, compassion, understanding. Be intentional. Prioritize one another. Make work and the kids know their proper place. Husband, pursue your wife. And give her your time and attention, cherishing her with a listening ear, seeking to understand and value her concerns and dreams. Wives, find ways to celebrate your husband's achievements to express your admiration and your appreciation for him. Keep the fire going for God's glory and the good of your marriage. Let me add an application for the unmarried and for those of us who are married who have young people in our lives. 
Many of us, no doubt, have loved ones who are cohabitating, living together, unmarried. It's not uncommon for many young people to assume that living together prior to marriage is normal. With widely available birth control and other factors, young couples think they have the world by the tail. They're all that in a bag of chips. Let us, as a Christian community, make cohabitation unnormal again. Trust in God's design. Even when the world says you're crazy. Let us hold our children, our friends, and our loved ones accountable to God's design. An exclusive relationship where intimacy is preserved for marriage and marriage alone. Be proactive in talking with young people to counter the false narratives so prevalent in our age. Statistics show that couples living together before marriage have higher rates of divorce after marriage. And one reason for this is that married couples act differently than cohabitating couples. While living together, their behavior is guarded, especially the woman, auditioning, so to speak, for the main event of marriage, putting on her best and hiding her worst temporarily. It's not often real. But after marriage, it gets real, real fast. And many couples are not ready and have not developed the character necessary for the lifelong commitment of marriage. And that's where we turn to next. The purpose of marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, what is that good thing? What good life does God promise the man who seeks and finds a wife with righteous intent? Well, in a word, completion. When God made Adam, he left him incomplete. God brought to the man the beast of the field and the birds of the air that he might name them. And, but after Adam named them all, there was not found among them a helper fit for him. And so the Lord put the man into a deep sleep and took a portion out of his ribs to craft the woman. My, my wife likes to point out that it was the man, not the woman, who was made from the dirt. She reminds me and my sons often when we come tracking into the house or sanctuary from the great outdoors. The purpose of marriage is completion, character development, and maturity in Christ. I tell young people who are interested in pursuing a serious dating relationship that might lead towards marriage to look for three things in the other person. Christ character, and connection. Is this person you're interested in a true believer? The scripture says to not be unequally yoked and to marry in the Lord. Two of my friends that I knew in high school who met years later at a nightclub, both Christians and yet were not walking faithfully with the Lord. And the guy came along hitting upon the girl and in casual conversation, asked her, so what's the most important thing in your life? His question pierced her to the heart. 
And looking back at him, she answered, Jesus Christ. Her answer convicted him, responding, me too. This new couple left the club and had a long talk confessing to one another how they had been straying from the Lord. And as God's grace would have it, they went on to become happily married. Ladies, will you be so bold with your man? Until his heart has been captured by Christ, may he have your heart. Why should you follow him if he is not following Christ? And just because somebody is a believer does not, does not necessarily mean he or she is, a, is of good character. There are genuine Christians who are sorely lacking with major gaps in their discipleship, work ethic, truth-telling, self-control, admitting fault, teachability, taking responsibility, are not nice-to-haves, but non-negotiables, qualities that anyone should expect in someone they would consider dating, let alone marry. The list of Proverbs I offer you on page four of your bulletin offer praises and warnings for marriage. I encourage you to review them later. Proverbs warns the man about the quarrelsome wife, a woman who is insatiable, failing to find her satisfaction in Christ. Proverbs warns ladies against angry men, those addicted to strong drink, the slothful, lacking self-control. When my older sister was just a few years out of college and living near our family, she was dating a guy who seemed rather nice. He was winsome, charming, this big hulking kind of guy who worked out a lot. But after they broke up, we learned that he had hit her on at least one occasion. And it was always followed by gifts and apologies that only lasted until the next incident. Years later, we saw him on the evening news. He killed a woman, apparently his girlfriend. I recommend to young people, especially women, to allow mature believers to speak into your life, particularly when you are dating. Listen to them to help you expose blind spots, lest you go your own way and make a terrible mistake. So Christ, character, and connection. Do you like each other? Do you get along? Tim Keller says that you should never be physically naked with someone until you are spiritually and emotionally naked. Can you share your heart with this person? Does this person get you, understand you, let down his or her guard that you might know him or her? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew verb to know speaks of marital relations between a husband and wife, but it's more than mere sexual knowledge. It also refers to deep emotional and relational knowledge. Every couple begins as friends, becomes lovers, and grows as partners, taking care of kids and the home and whatever else the Lord entrusts to them. The challenge for every marriage is to preserve and nurture all three roles.
Husbands, that same energy by which you pursued your wife when you were dating, to know her, to please her, well, she's looking for that same old spark. Even when life and work are crazy and overwhelming, she still wants to be pursued, to be known. And ladies, your man still needs to know that he's enough, that you believe in him, that you cheer him on, give him something to chase. Recently, I was at a family wedding where the bride and the groom wrote out their wedding vows, and the groom and his vows told the story of how they met. He saw her first at the university computer lab, the place of romance. <laughs> she was working there, and he was there most days, working on a project, and when he finally mustered up the courage to ask her out, he noticed that she had left. And so he chased her down through this large building and caught up with her outside. And he pledged on their wedding day to never stop chasing her. That's pretty good. Men, you made that promise. The chase is still on. My favorite Disney animated film is Beauty and the Beast. In it, we meet Belle, the beautiful, book-loving, stubbornly independent woman. We meet Gaston, the arrogant, rogue, alpha male of the town. And we meet Beast, a former prince, another arrogant rogue male who rules his little kingdom with an iron fist. As circumstances would have it, Belle becomes the Beast's prisoner. She doesn't know that he is under an awful spell. And at first, the beast keeps her with the selfish intent that somehow she might break the spell that by some miracle, she would learn to love him. But in time, he changes. He learns to die to his selfish desires and grows willing to release her to care for her father. Her character and her beauty change him until he realizes that love requires him to set her free, even if that means he remains trapped as a beast forever. As the story would have it, Belle returns, and with a sacrifice of her own breaks the spell. The beast is transformed, restored into a noble prince again to leave behind his roguish ways. Now, ladies, your beauty and character are not enough to change your man. He needs Christ. But God uses marriage to transform a young rogue male, a proud, stubborn woman, to knit their hearts as one and use them to grow each other, like Michelangelo chipping away at a block of marble to craft David and fashion both in the likeness of Christ. We've considered the design of marriage, the purpose of marriage, and now the glory of marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Genesis 6 says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He goes on to describe Noah as righteous, blameless in his generation, 
Noah was not perfect, but a man of faith who feared the Lord. Proverbs 8.35 says, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. The favor of the Lord is his blessing. And not just in a material sense, but spiritual. The favor of the Lord points to the greatest blessing he has to give us. The forgiveness of our sins. And eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Righteous men like Noah, Abraham, Job, and Moses looked for a righteousness greater than their own and obtained the favor of the Lord that he grants to those who believe and credits to them righteousness. The favor of the Lord. On the man who finds a virtuous wife is the blessing of marital joy and godly relationship. But it points to something greater. Even as marriage is a picture of something greater than mere husband and wife, The most prominent illustration in all of Scripture to describe the relationship between God and his people is marriage. The Bible frequently speaks of God being married to Israel, his bride. He cherished her, loved her, and rescued her. And sadly and tragically, Israel committed spiritual adultery with false gods and worthless idols. And so the Lord punished Israel, sending her into exile to serve foreign gods. And in time, with kindness, rescued her and restored her to the promised land. Marriage is God's great reclamation project to uproot our idols, to show us our weaknesses, and to restore us in the image of Christ. In marriage, only in marriage are we known so completely by another human being. All of our flaws, insecurities, doubts, our fears are laid bare in the intimate domain of marriage. In marriage, we also find encouragement, acceptance, and strength to do things that we could never do or never be on our own. And yet still, there is the danger of making an idol of marriage, trying to make it out to be more than God intended, to burden another person to fill what only God can fill in your heart. In the book of Genesis, we find one of the most revealing stories of of obsession in human history. The love triangle between the patriarch Jacob and his two wives, the sisters, Rachel and Leah. Jacob was sent to his uncle Laban to find a wife and fell madly in love with Rachel, his youngest daughter. For her, he worked seven years to be his wife. But Scripture says that it seemed like just a few days because of his great love for her. But on their wedding night, Laban tricks Jacob and switches Rachel with Leah her older, less attractive sister. Furious, helpless. Jacob does get Rachel, but he must keep Leah and also work another seven years for Laban. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he granted her children while leaving Rachel barren. 
And the way Leah names her first three sons reveals the state of her heart. She was desperate for her husband's attention and favor. She believed that giving him children, especially sons, would elevate her status to gain his love and affection. She names her firstborn Reuben, saying, The Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She names her second Simeon, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. The third son she calls Levi, for now this time my husband will be attached to me. Leah was grasping to gain the favor of her husband through childbearing. But then Leah gives birth to her fourth son, and something changes. She ceases to be consumed with herself, nor crave her husband's favor. She gives him the name Judah. For this time, I will praise the Lord. The girl who was pawned off by her father, whose husband received her reluctantly and with resentment. The girl that nobody wanted learned that her identity that her worth was not in her husband's affections or in the number of sons that she bore him, but in the God of heaven, her creator and redeemer, who wanted her and who could fill and satisfy her in a way that no man or husband ever could. And as God would have it, Judah became the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ, Leah's Savior and ours. On one occasion, when the Sadducees were testing Jesus, his answer informs us that in the kingdom of God, when we enter into eternity, there will be no more marriage. Marriage is for this life only. And for some, that is an unwelcome message. Their marriage is bliss. And perhaps you can't imagine not being married to your spouse forever. For others, it's a welcome truth and deliverance from a hard, a hard and painful marriage. Friends, you may have found the spouse of your dreams and have a wonderful marriage. And for that, praise God. And allow him to use your marriage to bless others. There are others like Leah who find marriage, but not love. Perhaps you find yourself single again due to your spouse's sin, your sin, or the tragedies of this fallen world that take your beloved from you in a seemingly premature time frame. May God meet you with the sufficiency of his grace. And ladies, for some of you, the man of your dreams may never find you. Pray for him. But sadly, in this broken world, too many men have lost their way and don't know how to seek and to find what is good in God's sight. The enemy has taken many men out of the game with addictions and counterfeits. Do not lower your standards for a man who is not worthy of you. Better to remain lonely with hope than married and still lonely in a Christless marriage.
may you find consolation in the fact that the greatest husband in the world has found you. As he found a lonely Samaritan woman at a well, a woman who had had five husbands, plus one who was not her husband. She had spent her whole life looking for love in all the wrong places until love came looking for her to set her free from the bondage of looking to men to give her what she could only find in Christ. Marriage is a good thing and should be rightfully pursued by the vast majority of God's people. We need a revival of biblical manhood and womanhood. We need a revival of Christian marriage. But marriage is not the ultimate thing. We must not make too much of it to make singles feel like they don't belong or pressure people to enter into marriage prematurely. Marriage can be a tremendous blessing. It can also be a terrible tragedy when infested with idolatry. And marriage in this life directs us to the glorious marriage supper of the Lamb where we will be his seated guest, dressed in his robes of righteousness, cleansed and redeemed and perfected by his work of salvation, welcomed and accepted to enjoy the rich fellowship and the celebration of the redeemed, that even the most joyful wedding and the best of marriages can only hint at. What lies in store for God's beloved who wait for him patiently is far greater than anything we can ask or imagine. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we would ask that you might meet each of us in our circumstances, that you might strengthen marriages, that you might give endurance and strength to those unmarried, that we would uphold and encourage one another to find our joy, our satisfaction, our happiness in Christ and Him alone. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.